This is an FOU Studios podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to GXP, the Geek Experience Podcast. It's time to get some Geek XP and level up today. I'm the showrunner, Peter the Geek. With me today, I have GMJC. Hey, hey, world, what's going on? We also got the soup man, Stephen Campbell. Well, hello. <laughs> All right, guys, our guest today is a very good friend of mine and somebody who, when I start to read these credentials, you're going to go, what the fuck? It this, might take us all 30 minutes this, to read this, this, <laughs> It's going to take me a long time. She is a Master of Arts uh, from uh, in the Humanities from the University of Chicago. She's a Bachelor of Arts and Science in English Literature um, from Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. She's had private voice study training from Thomas Wickman, Lucille Evans, J. William Seal, on uh, Pat- uh, Patrice Michaels. Did I say that right? That's right. Um, uh, <laughs> she is fantastic, intelligent, and amazing at pretty much everything she does. Ashley Elizabeth, or as we call her, Bess Calhoun. Hello. Bess, welcome welcome Bess. to the show. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Bess. Well, so I am originally from Dallas, Texas, and recently moved out to New York about six months ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started out loving music when I was two years old, and um, my grandparents gave me a copy of the Baryshnikov version of the Nutcracker Ballet. And my mom started noticing, (laughs) we'd be in another room doing stuff, and she would um, ask me, you know, what... I was hearing, and I'd say, oh, this is who's dancing. And so ever since then, it kind of propelled me into a lifelong love of research of both literature and music, and yeah, ended up going to undergrad, grad school, and started studying it, started engaging in it, and now I'm here. Wow. Really cool. Very, very very cool. Um, I know that you have, again, with a Bachelor of Arts and Science in English Literature, you probably know more about all of the origins of all of the stories that we love as geeks more than we could ever imagine. So let's get right to this because I don't want to waste uh, any more time than I have to. I think it's about time to geek out! I know that was loud. So, Bess, what are we geeking out about today? We're going to geek out about musical semiotics today. Ooh. Please tell us what that means. <laughs> <laughs> so, when I was an undergrad, I had majors in English literature and language, Italian literature and language, and also um, music theory. Mm -hmm. So I was always really frustrated about how I couldn't play in all sandboxes at once. You know, I wanted to be able to take things I was learning in English and apply them to music. And one day I was in a music theory course and my teacher noticed that I was, or my professor noticed that I was kind of disengaged. I was bored. And she goes, hey, I want you to read this book. And it was about um, musical semiotics. And she goes, you know, there is so much about music that is also a language. And I think knowing that you have an interest in literature and in words and in Mm -hmm. linguistics and knowing that you have a a musical background, let's try to marry the two and see what what you learn. So Mm -hmm. anyway, um, the the thought is, and I pulled up a quote specifically, but um, there was a semiotician or a linguist that said, language is a system of signs that expresses ideas. And I thought, well, does it mean that it has to be verbal? Can it be other stuff? Can it right. be musical structure? Not necessarily. Yeah, right. that that, sure. that mm-hmm. communicates an idea. Right. And so ultimately, you know, 
there were a lot of other music theorists that felt the same way I did. Mm -hmm. um, they just happened to be a little further along in their career. So, mm -hmm. But it at least put you on the path to meet the right people yes. and start delving into the field yep. that you wanted to. Yep, absolutely. Cool. Mm -hmm. So what did you do after you graduated? So um, when I graduated undergrad, um, so during undergrad, I got this undergraduate honors thesis grant. So I got to spend time and, I don't know, something like 3000 bucks, which to an undergraduate seems like a lot of money, yeah. right? To yeah. do like whatever to, you want. To be fair, no, when you're, when you're, like <laughs> when you're <laughs> well, to be fair, when you're an undergraduate, twenty bucks sounds like a lot of money. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, oh my god, Mom, I can eat. Today? I, could, I could get so much ramen with twenty bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So basically, you know, I kind of fused this idea. So you guys are actors. I'm sure you're familiar with the Joseph Campbell like narrative. Uh, Hero thing. with a thousand faces. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And yep. so he proposes that there's <clears throat> only a finite number of narratives. You know, they take different yeah. Um, yeah. different spins and mm -hmm. have different flavors to them, but yeah. ultimately when you're creating a universal narrative, um, you know, the reason we're drawn to stories, you know, like the Odyssey and, you know, these things that have been around for thousands of years, mm -hmm. why is that the case? And I thought, you know, I think music does the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what is it about certain structures? What is it about certain, um, you know, motives or whatever that really makes us think certain things. So it's similar to like the, the Hero with a Thousand Faces, it's well known, Luke Skywalker is the Hero with a Thousand Faces. He yeah, follows George Lucas took a lot of inspiration. Yeah, it, it, it follows yeah. it to a T. When you when you break it down, Harry Potter is also a Hero of a Thousand Faces, yeah, almost the exact yeah. same narrative, that kind of thing. The classic hero cycle. So there is like the, the, the musical tonality with a Thousand Faces is what you're saying, or? Yeah, so I started, so I knew I had to slim it down, right? Because if you use all of world music, you're never gonna get anywhere. You gotta, <laughs> you know, kind of <laughs> trim the you know you've got to trim it down into a, a thesis subject that's that you can attack right sure. and so I looked specifically at Western music and and more specifically romantic German music mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, so Mahler Wagner you know those types mm -hmm. of things and then also Italian opera because that's what um, I was studying mm -hmm. so you know as a as a vocalist um, not just you know, an academic. Yeah, so right. um, while I was, I was really lucky. I ended up going to Miami University for my academic career, but just down the street, CCM. I don't know if you guys are familiar with I that am, program. They, they regularly outrank Juilliard in terms of classical wow. voice. Okay. Yeah. And so I was able to go um, what study does it voice. For, CCM? It's Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. wow. Yeah. So I got to go down the road and nobody, study voice. Nobody can see my face right now, but my, I was I, my eyes were wide and I was like leaning back from my microphone. Uh, yeah. Sorry. So anyway. Um. So so yeah, I got to marry both this practical element along with this um, you know academic thing. So one thing I really took a look at was um, I got this aria from my voice teacher and it was something from Madame Butterfly. Um. And so I was like, oh, you know, we're, it was right in the height of cultural theory, you know, and so I was like, I don't, I mean, you can't see me behind the microphone, but like I'm a blonde lady. Like, you know, like how culturally responsible is that? Um, but what I what I took a look at was, okay, what what is Puccini allowing her to do? So this narrative of you know this this you know an Asian woman having this white lover mm. has been around for so long, and even the Madame Butterfly narrative has been around for hundreds of years. Right. And so mm -hmm. what Puccini did was really gave her an opportunity to speak. And so, you know, she's the she's the one she almost never leaves the stage. And so, you know, the story is both about her but told by her. And I was really coming into conflict when she would say things like in Italian, I'm a real American wife. But the score was constructed in such a way that it was 
signifying, you know, a, Asianness with a pentatonic scale. Mm-hmm. So how do you deal with that? You right. know, what does that mean if she's saying one thing and the music's telling you another thing? What does that palimpsest of information give you? Is it that she's not self-aware? Is it that someone sees her a different way and the world is commenting on her, but she believes something different? Right. And how does that like coming together and pulling apart? You know, how does how does that journey happen throughout the opera? How does she reconcile her cultural identity? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And so eventually she ends up, you know, readopting what she understands to be true honor and she commits suicide so her child can have a better life. Um, horrible, oh, horrible. Heavy. But yeah, very heavy. Yeah. But it, it was one of those things that I was like, mm, I just don't think that the park and bark, you know, interpretation, you know, the technical analysis of this is going to be enough for an adequate performance. So. Anyway, that launched a big research project that I tackled in grad school. That's amazing. Wow. I think yeah. it's so progressive. If you, the way you phrase it, she almost never leaves the stage. Mm-hmm. And it's a story told by her, which yeah. in the format of an Italian opera seems very limiting because that opera has to follow very strict rules, yeah. as far as I understand. And yet, at the same time, it's pushing an agenda that at that time you don't really see a lot of other operas is like a lot of male perspective stuff even mm-hmm. an opera named Tosca is largely from yeah. the perspective of the painter and not hers right and yeah. you have only a couple of scenes and all of her scenes are with men right, so right. so it's very interesting to me that that was an agenda that was pushed in like a, in a subtle way in a way where people of the time could digest it yeah. because and it, it's opera and it was considered the good thing to do yeah right. and it, and it's actually the same composer <clears throat> Puccini yeah. the same yeah. same composer but i think it's so interesting because Tosca still takes, she still makes a choice at the end, right? She does. You know, she does. and and she didn't have similar, to. Jump. <laughs> a similar choice. Absolutely, but yeah. what's with all these dying women? You know, right, right, <laughs> but right. anyway. So as yeah. a as a person who's literally never seen an opera, I'm very intrigued by what's happening right now because I, I it, it's yeah I'm sorry it's just uh, these are narratives I'm unfamiliar with so yeah yeah I don't know I just wanted to say well, I, I think I think that even you know let's let's bring it back to the geekdom i I think that even in our modern culture we have a lot of that um, musicality that tells story well definitely yeah, definitely. yeah of yeah. course mm-hmm. um, and you know there's gonna we're gonna talk about this a little bit more later go ahead oh no 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 it's uh, when you're finished with your thought I right. have something uh, we're gonna talk th- about this a little bit more later but it's um. You know, even earlier, or rather with one of our guests mm-hmm. on this podcast, we were discussing how there was a very cool scene in a, in a Marvel movie and how the orchestra mm-hmm. swelled. And mm-hmm. obviously musicality plays a big thing in film and video game, but it's, it's more mm-hmm. of an element that I think that um, is it, kind of recessive in geek culture, like in video mm-hmm. games especially mm-hmm. also. They have their own niche, people who love that kind of thing, yeah. but, but it's, it's always, it, it falls under the radar. It's really interesting that you say that because um, I had been I had been watching a video a little uh, this is a little while ago when I saw it for the first time the idea that when editors and movie people are starting to edit you know the movies for the, the first cuts they're not using music that's been used for the movie they're using mm-hmm. music that like I want it to be like this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so the composers for the movies suddenly they're a year into this editing process and the movie people are like all right I want this this scene. And they're listening to the music and they write something new. They're like, no, 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 no. I, I want it to be more like that thing. And so, so many composers nowadays are forced into composing basically just that song, but not that song. Right. right. And it's, yeah, it's, it's. There's a lot of like similarity with two like recognizable themes that people have heard just to evoke certain things. So, for instance, it's, you get. Well, yeah. It's, it's yeah. the idea that even themes are starting to become less and less creative and iconic. Like Star right. Wars, 
anybody knows the Imperial March. Dun, 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 yep. Like, I mean, it's, it's hilarious, especially when you hear it in a major key, because we're so used to what the Imperial March is. Everybody knows the theme. Sure. It's one of the biggest, loudest fanfares of popular culture. Yeah. But what is the theme? What's Thor's theme from uh, from the Thor movies? Mm-hmm. What is, what's the new Spider-Man theme? What's the new, like the new Star Trek movies still use that. They haven't rewritten anything. No. It's, all of these things are coming with this committee level of like, well, no, we want it to be like this, like this. And now there's no creativity or expansion in right. any sort of composing. And then the things that do stand out, we get, we, we, then, the, you know, the, someone breaks the mold, for instance, right. and comes out with something very recognizable. This, this is actually really interesting because I, I had an argument a couple of weeks ago with someone. Uh, they said, oh, yeah, what's that, what's that intro song for uh, Justice League? And I, and I was like, oh, I don't know. Um, but, or or uh, it wasn't Justice League. It was something else. And they were like, doesn't it go, and I'm like, no, that's the Wonder Woman theme. And then yeah. they said, no, that's the theme from whatever this other thing was. Yeah. And we looked it up, and they sound almost identical. Wow. And they're like yeah. opposite IPs. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm almost sure there was like Marvel versus uh, like DC. DC kind of yeah. Wow. So, I mean, as the person who's literally studying the language of music, uh-huh. please, please weigh in. Yeah, so I think, I think film music is an incredibly good case study for this because it's something that we all consume you know Mm -hmm. not everyone peter you know you said yourself i've never seen an opera i I don't know i don't know but you know so often film scores are ambient they're they're setting a tone they're creating something and um i think there are certain motives or certain um you know things that as a consumer of media um we start to associate you know, so uh, with, with other things. So something that I am particularly interested in and I started pointing to and the research started pointing to was, okay, brass. Mm. You know, we hear brass. We see, we hear this fanfare. Right. It, depending on the instruments and depending on other things, it can be beautifully set in Game of Thrones. It can be, mm-hmm. you know, a sure. triumphant, you know, announcement in a superhero movie. Right, it can right. be a lot of different things, but based on certain structure and then also being able to say, I've heard that that's in my bank of knowledge mm-hmm. and and drawing that association that's a cognitive structure that we're participating in just by being western listeners just by understanding the movies and and our yeah. bank of knowledge just that by we being have. permeated by the culture yeah absolutely and you don't have to be a, a music student you don't have to be a music theorist to understand that that's just part of you know our our cultural knowledge and mm-hmm. cultural understanding even if we can't quite put our finger on it well yeah. i can imagine as a composer you're constantly surrounded by the the, the zeitgeist of composition that you're in. So when you have modern composers mm-hmm. like Hans Zimmer, Alexandre yep. Desplat, et cetera, who are using these themes, um, you know, they're drawing upon the works of the likes of John Williams, you know, oh, who's yeah. typified by certain styles. And so when right. they go for that brass fanfare, they need to have in the back of their mind, oh, if I use this here, people are just going to say, oh, it's, it's John Williams. Right. You know, right. it's like, how do they also establish their personal identity in the way that they speak the language? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Especially when you're, you know, you have a very narrow focus for it in right. the, what what is of the necessary requirements for the scene, what the director is yeah. telling you, what the right. editors are telling you, right. you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like... As as the person who is geeking out about this language, where where do you think these themes and these ideas of other people who speak the language 
Um, how do they establish themselves? How do you find your unique identity within that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, we, we have to go back to how do we acquire any sort of cultural knowledge to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. And I would, I would go so far as to suggest that a lot of these people being around the same age got a lot of their, their musical knowledge from cartoons, from oh. Looney Tunes. Huh. If you go back and you listen, huh. a lot of those, they'll have like Rossini's um, Anvil Chorus. Um, they'll yeah. have, yeah. you know, Wagner in there. They'll ha- and you know we see Bugs Bunny with the like pointy bra and the horns. And yeah, stuff like that. yeah, that but, I was about yeah, to call that out. Yeah, right. but um, you know, it's it's that kind of consumption where they start to pick up on things like, okay, yeah, that might have been a comedic version of that, but how did it make me feel? And how did it, you know, how did it contribute to the narrative? And so I would say that you know it's it's part that it's TV, it's commercials, it's stuff like that. But yeah, I asked someone, a, a scholar, I was like, so where did you fall in love with music? For me, it was that that Baryshnikov version of the Nutcracker Ballet, and I, you know, was hooked ever since. And he's like, cartoons. It was cartoons. I I grew up in the 50s and the 60s, and it was cartoons. So I think that's part of it. Um, I also think that, um, you know, these people start to study um, composers. They... They go to school for it. You know, they, they become yeah. more fluent in different things. But I think there are certain genres that lend itself themselves well to, you know, different types of films. So I think superhero movies have a specific kind of, you know, sound to them. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. um, an epic, you know, I think of John Williams. I think of, you know, he did Harry Potter. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. E.T. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, all of those. So, you know, they they have this kind of epic quality to them but they're not are they really epic stories you know they're, they're about children you know yes they're epic but you know you right. know what i mean like, like what, what is the but global scale yeah of it, right? but that's actually yeah. a really good point because traditionally an epic we're talking about like the odyssey or the iliad or something mm-hmm. that gilgamesh. is gilgamesh like yeah. these huge <laughs> stories with like and the, the much con- unloved aeneid but i loved it yeah, yeah. Oh, let's, yeah. let's, let's oh, give yeah. credit to the aeneid <laughs> sorry i, I was <laughs> just trying to build but just to use words <laughs> anyway um with, like with huge cataclysmic consequences these stories. Yeah. So yeah, E.T. is not by by the standard definition of an epic, an epic movie. Like, yeah, it's first contact, but like yeah. it's not it's not the same level of like right. grandioseness. It's, it's the adventure of a kid. There's yeah. no warfare yes. exactly. involved. Exactly. exactly. But I think to your points, the the scoring of this film has elevated the perception of that film in our consciousness. Yeah. Right? Oh gosh. If, yeah. if it hadn't been for like a very recognizable theme for for E.T would we still think that the the story about a kid meeting an alien is really that epic? No, I mean, yeah, many other elements went into it, good cinematography, good mm-hmm. direction, et cetera, but we get a sense of like overarching adventure and yeah. largeness all from the music. If you mm-hmm. really think about it, like yeah. what yeah. what can we put our finger on? Was it the fact that, you know, it was a funky little funny alien? No, no, it was the score. The score right. was actually really cool. Yeah, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, the, the score elevates it from cheesy hijinks into swashbuckling. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you, yeah. you, you get some dude doing some wacky character on the screen, but but you hear the you know behind it and all of a sudden it, it makes you feel like what he's doing is much bigger than what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Another great example of that, and, and let's keep it in line with pirates, hook. 
Yes. Oh, amazing. I, yeah. Amazing score. I, oh my gosh, so, I forgot about that. Okay, so, so good. So I'm like the resident hook aficionado here. <laughs> I, 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 I think I can quote that film wrote. Um, I, yesterday, when it started snowing out of nowhere, because today it's like 55 degrees in New York. It's snowing. I, I did the thing. I sent a gift to somebody of Toodles. Toodles shutting the door on someone's face. Like, it's snowing. <laughs> so, so the fact that you bring this up, and uh, yeah, please. I think that's another John Williams composition. It's interesting. Sorry, it's I, I quickly Googled E.T. and then also mm-hmm. Close Encounters. Both Steven Spielberg, both pretty sure both John Williams, mm-hmm. both mm-hmm. movies yes. of it's a collaboration first contact, that's often happening. But yeah. like it's both but also both of those movies are first contact movie in completely yeah. different ways. Right. Mm-hmm. But the soundtracks when you like I I don't I can't think of them all like side by side, but yeah, they both have the same epic tone to them. Even though, again, yeah, one is a kid with a bicycle and yeah. an alien. The other is literally like go to a mountain because I'm being compelled, driven insane by my by this desire to get there for the first mm-hmm. contact. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you know that kind of that syncopated that that dotted rhythm, like da da da. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. very. I mean, you hear it and you think pirate, right? Yeah, because we've yeah. seen that motive so often. Mm-hmm. A it's associated. Yep. Yeah, whether 100%. we realize it or not. You know, that's something that even before. So I'm thinking in Hook, the scene where Robin Williams you know, lands in Neverland and he cloaks himself in pirate, you know, stuff. Garb. Yeah, yes. and then there's that that moment where, um, mm-hmm. you it know. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. it's a, yeah. It yep. sinks and uh, when he like, goes on his peg leg yep. and twists his hat, yeah, it sinks into, and then it's it's a beaded, it's like a percussive, uh, yeah. like, uh, yeah, like a syncopated rhythm. Well, and, and yeah. why might that be? I've always thought it's because, you know, pirates in the peg leg, they're walking. Yes. You See, know, that's right, interesting. Right? I always assumed that it was oceans and waves are very, like, rolling and lilting as well. Yeah, and they're they're not rhythmic because they're it's, the waves are always at a different pace. That's a, how I always yeah, think. Yeah, I think water motive often is a trickle or, a like, an a undulating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whereas this, you know, is... It's market. Yeah, it's very, oh, I guess. very much so. And then it's that, you know, uneven, and it mimics the walk of the pirate. Or a walk of any person on a ship. I yeah. think that's also yeah, true. That, right? It's like that it's like that you have to take assertive, large steps yeah. on something that's balancing on water. So, mm-hmm. so you it's it's often marked when you're when the wood when your boot is hitting the plank of a ship. You mm-hmm. hear the boom, boom, boom because you're taking long strides mm-hmm. in order to better maintain your balance. And I think it's a brilliant correlation back to pirates. And if you think about it, even even the original, um, uh, not not a Basil Rathbone, black and white swashbuckling films where he plays a pirate in one of them. And I think it's in several Errol Flynn's type style. Um, There's a lot of that as well in those. There's also like those dramatic moments during the duels that was like very typical of the music at the time. Um, But there there was an element of that that I think was brought out later when pirate films came back into the industry. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Very cool. Yeah, apparently I'm just completely off base for how I'm assuming music. Is I, well, no, you, you, you had you had water. <laughs> no, I've always actually that's always been a thing. Even like in English and analysis classes, um, everything. Every time I come up with analysis, like ninety percent of the time, they're like, "No, it's blank." But I'm like, "But, but the most <laughs> the most famous the, the most famous example. It's um I a weird time jump thing. At the time of this recording, we haven't talked to him yet." But I guess um, that we're going to have a writer. He's known me since high school. Mm -hmm. Um, We were in a class studying Hamlet. And it was about the ghost. Like, what is the ghost of Hamlet? And um, I always went, well, maybe the ghost is fake. Maybe it's it's like... uh, 
in it's all in Hamlet's mind because of the, on Elsinore Castle at the beginning of the show, it's when the guards are like scared. They think war is coming. It's cold, and like your your brain is going to do things with you, especially if you're paranoid. And back then, probably slightly hallucinating because of a bad potato, that kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bad it's wheat. a, a yeah. lot bad of stuff wheat. is going on in your mind. And so if like somebody's like, what, what was that? I, what was it a ghost? I don't know. And then they they just build on it. Mm-hmm. And I presented that as my case for why the ghost was never there. It was just a figment of Hamlet's imagination. I think that's a compelling argument. And yeah. my high school English teacher straight up said no. No, he's in the script, so he's actually there. You're wrong. Well, I think that's probably a little short-sighted. But but... it's not an uncommon trend for how I interpret things. So I guess Mm. that was a long-winded way to say, apparently I'm fucking weird. (laughs) Why else are we on this podcast if we're not? Well, it's, it's interesting that you bring up Shakespeare because so much of Shakespeare is so poetic and so musical. Very musical. Mm. Yeah, oh my and gosh. I remember, so when we were doing, Ro- Peter and I were in a production of Romeo and Juliet. I was Tybalt. I, I was the nurse. <laughs> yes. Um, and so part of my role in it was talking about Italian and, and stuff like that. And there's that scene, I think it's in Act Two, where it's Benvolio, Mercutio, and Romeo are all talking. <laughs> and he says something about Tybalt's character. And he goes, the Prince of Cats, oh, what I, and I started giggling. And the director's like, why are you laughing? And I was like, oh, well, I, I, that's supposed to be a double entendre, right? And he's like, or she was like, wait, what? What do you mean? And I was like, well, in Italian, cazzo means dicks. Yeah. <laughs> it means oh, dick, yeah. right? And I was yeah. like, so he's calling him not only, he's calling him gay. He's saying, you're the prince of dick. <laughs> And you're also a dick. Well, I was going to say, you're yeah. a dick. You are the prince of dicks. <laughs> well, but dick. also, like, he's always trying to undercut him, yeah. you know, right. and, like, oh, yeah. and back then it would have been, it, him. and back yeah. then the slant, like, slurring, calling him gay would have been, you know, like, oh, no, you're fucking gay. And it's like, oh, well, I bite my thumb at you. But the way Shakespeare writes it, he puts the hard, he puts a period there. And then it's O, you know, and that's that, like, O, the O that you can do whatever you want with. And in the Italian, you have to have the double consonant. So it's cazzo. So you have to stop. Cazzo panico. Yeah, it's a really well-written way to make sure it sounds like the Italian. Exactly. So that that idea of space stopping and musicality is so important in what I hope is an accurate interpretation of that line. I have to believe it is. (laughs) I think so. I mean, they also make fun of um, how he sword fought. I mean, getting really geeky right now as an actor combatant guy they also make fun of um how tybalt fights that's right and yeah. like it, it's do. there's like there's a number of interpretations that are accurate about it it doesn't matter if you agree or disagree with anyone in my opinion except there are some cases that anyway um tybalt like it's he's by the books he's like literally it's like he does this and this and then boom it's a, in polish. Your chest. It, it's a polished it is it's yeah. the Feel. the point of that is like literally well he um he, he does this and then boom uh i can't think of the exact line but um and right in your button like literally it's like he's so good he knows his he knows the book of arithmetic yep. so well he knows the theory he knows how to get there yeah that's right. that's all in the same speech that, oh yeah yeah yes yes yes, yes. About, yeah um and you know some people think that means that he's stupid because he just knows that by the book nothing else yeah. not you're well practiced not smart right and yeah. the, and so you know, different ways to look at it but yeah it's more the musicality that yeah, oh, it's been oh, interesting so i yeah. i find it hilarious that the, the, the double entrant in Italian because that's so common with Italians especially mm-hmm. um, yeah. the whole myth I learned recently of uh, Romulus and Remus or rather I didn't learn I realized this 
um, everyone knows that they were raised by a she-wolf, but mm-hmm. uh, which in Italian is lupa. Oh, lupo in Italian, and a yeah. female is lupa. But lupa was the slang term for a prostitute yeah. in, in ancient Italy and huh. in ancient Rome. Didn't know that. So, so essentially in all the text and in the, even in the iconography, because it's depicted very literally in statuary, especially in the Renaissance right, period. Right. But you see Romulus and Remus being raised essentially by a prostitute. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that and that's how Rome was founded by these two brothers. So oh, yeah. it's right. very interesting to it's, me. It's it's a they, course. Well, and they, they even say in Boko al Lupo, you know, they yeah, say in, in the mouth Lupo. of the yeah, yep. yeah, like it, to good, mean luck. good luck. Good luck. Right. Yeah, and so I, I don't know the etymology there, but it's interesting that it keeps it popping up like that. Yeah, yeah, the Italians—they yeah. they love it. But Shakespeare, we were talking about his musicality. It's obviously in in the poetry. It's in the writing, mm-hmm. um, and that that continues to translate to this day. I think. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's inescapable when you look at Shakespeare's writing how musical it is. I mean, we're yeah. f- really far away from like composition and stuff like that. But you know, it, as simple as the uh, once more into the breach, dear friend's speech, you mm-hmm. can hear like the pacing and how it's like it builds upon itself to the point that literally you're screaming by the like not screaming, but like you're literally unable to do anything other than project by the end of that speech the way it's written. Yeah, well, and it's it's interesting. So the reason I fell in love with this like marriage of literature, like words, language, and music, was because I was in a I was in a Victorian literature class and we were studying Tennyson mm-hmm. and we were studying the poem Ulysses. So good. And um, my professor said something, you know, because I I loved poetry. I really don't like prose that much. Like the reason I'm not huh. a Victorianist today is because I think Charles Dickens is just a little too tedious for me. (laughs) Um, But I I really loved Shakespeare and I really loved Tennyson and it's because of the musicality of the line and it's because of how smart they are with the musicality and the pacing. And so that's where I wanted to say, like, I want to talk about music and I want to talk about literature and I want to use tools from each, you know, discipline, you know, to marry and Mm -hmm. a lot of universities. So when I was applying to grad school, there, I I would ask them, I'm like, so how open to, you know, are you to doing interdisciplinary study, you know, type things? And they said, no, you know, like, no, no. And I was like, well, I'm not okay with it being a hermetically sealed department. If, If you're telling me that I can't do that, then this may not be the right program for me. And so when I went to the University of Chicago, they said, yeah, yeah. Use all the tools you can, you Good. know. Good. And they encourage bridging of studies. Absolutely, right. absolutely. So much so that a lot of their professors sit on multiple departments. Wow. That's very yeah, cool. it's very cool. And so, um, you know, my thesis advisor, you know, technically I went for English, um, but my thesis advisor was a, a musicology expert fascinating right mm-hmm. you know yeah. and, and they allowed it and i was like okay this is good um the the common theme it's if you look it up on wikipedia university of chicago is where fun goes to die because it's so <laughs> academically rigorous um, but it's but it's a fun no. thing it's like where fun goes to die but it's like this extreme sporting thing like it's the best kind of dying yeah right. but anyway it's it's where i felt like i fit in most because they let me play in both both worlds. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I have a hard time believing that my my assumptions that I carried on in my research in music didn't, w- they weren't born out of Shakespeare right. or they weren't born out of Tennyson or, you know, other poetic studies. So um, I know that you a lot of you, what you have is rooted in opera because, I mean, some of those old, I mean, we all love those older works because, I mean, they're just achingly beautiful. Yeah. In what ways do you think that that narrative of both the writing and the music comes like in more modern musicals? Like, do you think that there's, mm, mm-hmm. do you see that, and do you see that same sort of intelligence in the language there, or do you in think musical that, theater. or do you, yes. or, or are you seeing like um, the same kind of schism we were talking about before about looking for just like the same kind of stuff 
and any sort of trickle down? Like, I'm honestly curious. No, I, I think that's a great question. And I think there is a lot of contemporary music that tackles this, both film scores. Um, something that I saw recently, I, so I went to go see Once on this Island recently. Uh. And... It's I it, it's so, so good. good and and what they did with that was they took elements from all over the costuming the staging the you know all of it red and so one of the biggest overarching themes that they played with both musically and you know physically or visually was this idea of a wrecked nation and how to weave in trash into like their um, into their costumes into the so there's this character it's basically like the angel of death yeah. Papa Gay yeah and so her costume hmm. has these fins on it but it's Coke cans that have been <laughs> so they're like it's it's literally found oh. objects woven into their physicality and so cool. it's so beautiful and so smart to say like this I you know this storm wrecked island you know mm -hmm. and and we're going to take bits and pieces of what's happened to us and weave it into a culture that is so, so would you, smart beautiful. just kind of on this point now now you're talking about sort of visual language oh yeah right mm -hmm. so would you would you consider yourself a scholar also of the semiotics of mm -hmm. visual language so, and how that relates <laughs> to your studies yeah both so i think in a performance practice realm sure sure um both my parents are in marketing and so you know a lot of times mm. you know kids would you know sit at the table and talk about mom and dad's work day or whatever and mm -hmm. so you know we'd talk about ads that my parents were working on and so um you know my dad did sports advertising okay. yeah um and he did a lot of like commercial shoots and um you know there were times that he would come to the table and say you know gosh we really want something that um gives the connotation of elegance we're working on a women's golf clubs line you know what mm -hmm. that's what you know you know french like what what would be something beautiful to say that we could name a golf club and so i'd throw out some ideas and then he'd take them back to the boardroom and like pitch them <laughs> and you know but it was it was a collaboration right and yeah. so i think sometimes visual verbal you know i think they all go hand in hand sure i do, I do want to plug one of her mom's pieces of work it's called calamity wear Oh. It looks like traditional, like, China. But when you look at the actual figures, there's, like, monsters and pterodactyls yeah. and, like, robots. It's so That's cool. Amazing. That yeah. sounds fantastic. Yeah, like, the traditional chinoiserie, like, it's blue and white China pattern. Yeah, yeah. Um, so from far away, and I have it at work, and so from far away, it looks like, oh, she has this very fine bone China. And I'm like, no, there's a pterodactyl right there. You yeah. Know, there's a, yeah. like, giant frog right there. But it's, so it's, it's like that scene from Birdcage where it's like, oh, this is lovely, lovely dinner. <laughs> Are they playing? Are these two men playing leapfrog? Right. <laughs> Don't you have any girls on yours? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good, so good. Uh, I, I have to, I have to take it back. I've never seen Once on This Island. Um, I've, I'm dying to, and I've heard a lot so about good. it. You said that the main or one of the characters who acts like uh, essentially right the agent yeah. of death. Well, yeah, he he literally is the god of death. I actually, yeah. god in, of death. in Wisconsin, I played Papa Gay. There Did are some. Yeah, oh, there there fun. are some productions where like uh, having the white business suit, Papa Gay is actually like a good way to go about it because death right. and corporate America. Sure. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's he's literally they call him the Sly Demon of Death. Like mm -hmm. that is what he is. He is death. Yeah, and in like voodoo culture, it's the um, the soul of the first man who died. Right. And um, and in this production, they actually gender flip it, and it's a woman that plays That's it, so and the Mother Earth, Asaka, is played by a man. That's really interesting. Yeah, and so like um, his his skirt is made out of um, 
a tablecloth, mm. like a discarded tablecloth. I ah. and the, the the element of trash is interesting. I, I I don't know if you guys know this. Do you know what papagayo means in Spanish? It means parrot. I was gonna say yeah, it, yeah. it's yeah. parrot. Um, I wonder. I, I have to see the show now. Yeah. Obviously, that I know Peter's been in it oh, once. Oh please. Um, but uh, I'm I'm interested to know like if there's a lot of repetition there, or if like that person uses mm. that as a kind of well, it's it's in the French Polynesian islands, so yeah. I don't I don't know exactly how much um like how much of translation there that I'm sure it's got there, a Latin but root. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure yeah. there's something, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know exactly how much. Well, in it's German, curious. there's that character in the magic flute, Papageno. Yeah, Papageno. Who's yeah. That, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I have a hard time. My younger sister has a parrot, and so we're always looking for parrot references. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, it'd be interesting to know the etymology behind that. Sure, sure. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, actually, we're just about at time. Um, it's 35 yeah. minutes. So, yeah, we've been talking for half an hour on this. Flew this, by. This, but yeah, it always flies oh, by. Always it's insane. Does. This, I mean, we kind of got off topic from the original geek out. We um, did, but I hope you had. I hope you had Tom fun geeking out about literally the language. Of course, music. of course, I do. We're we have a very special t- uh, plus ten XP segment for Bess. Yeah. Um, it originated from something I we 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 played this game before in the car. In the car, he didn't believe me, so I proved him wrong. <laughs> literally, I mean, Bess is not a geek in the same sense that like JC, Stephen, and I are like. We are hardcore into Star Wars and, uh, and video games and that kind of thing. Best not so much, but and everybody has their own geek out, clearly sure. with the languages of that kind of thing. We have a collection of video game themes. She is going to tell us what these games are about. She's not going to be able to name them, but she will tell us what they are about based off of this. Because For, of, Go ahead. Sorry. I, oh, a whole lot. For clarification purposes. Yes. How many video games have you played in your life? Zero. There we go. No, no, no. This is perfect. <laughs> perfect. So Zero that's games. exactly what we wanted in order to show that like the musicality of something can really tell you from just from listening to it what this will be about. So yeah. correct. So you were gonna say something, Bess? Oh, I was just gonna say I video games give me motion sickness. I've never played <laughs> one. <laughs> well, Pitiful. Hopefully you don't get motion sickness from these. But, no, I uh, again, these are themes. We're gonna we have a, a, a big smattering. We're gonna have you listen to each one for about a minute, so we can get through a bunch of them. Okay. And in that minute, talk through it. Let us know what your thoughts are. Um, our sound guy is gonna adjust the volume a little bit just to make sure we're not too quiet, too loud, or anything thing like that. So here is the first one. Okay, so immediately I'm starting to think, you know, the bell, the Spanish guitar, you know, some things like that are going to be, so it's either like Wild West, Zorro something. Bingo. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's, I want to he- I want to he- hear more because okay. there's, there's more okay. content. Oh, military drums. So some sort of militia, some sort of military, something maybe. Okay. Because I'm trying to get to the root of also the story behind okay. what's going on. All right, how much I know she do can do it. I know she can do it. That rhythm, the dun, da 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 dun, 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 it reminds me of an executioner. So mm. does it have anything uh, to do with uh, like an uh, escape uh, or anything uh, like that? Oh like, my god! So actually, <laughs> so weirdly, it it teases just in your in your reference of it. It teases what the end of the game is about. Oh. So reading the description from Wikipedia, Red Dead Redemption is a Western-themed action-adventure video game. 
Um, uh, when you look at this, it's a third-person shooter, open world. It's, it was developed by the same people that did GTA, for uh, those of you that don't know. Um, but yes, without knowing the most of the story, yeah, at the very end is one of those... Uh, um, Butch Cassidy spoiler alert. Kid. I mean, yes. spoiler alert. <laughs> One of those Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid scenarios where it's, I mean, he's a criminal and he's asked to help do, like, unlawful kind of things. Essentially, the, it, it is set in the Wild West. You, the U.S. government, or just at, like, the, at the turn of the Industrial Revolution. So the U.S. Mm. government, um, knowing he's a criminal, says, look, you have a chance to redeem yourself. Do this. Track down your old buddies for us. Got it. Um, and at the very end, again, big spoilers, um, the, the tides turn. He does what the government asks him to do. And then they come crack down on him anyway. And there's oh. a big scene where they invade his little ranch and his kid and his wife are in danger and everything. And uh, it has a terribly tragic ending. But you were right about the militaristic aspect. Yeah. I didn't even think of this. Like, obviously, from the church bell and that guitar, you hear you know, elements of cowboy. That's what you right, think. Right, right. Um, it's that picture for you. <laughs> but, the, but the drumming and just implies to you what happens at the end, which yeah. was a big twist. That's well, so cool that, that, that you were able to pick that up. Yeah. So. Um, we have a couple others. I know you could keep talking about this, but no, yeah. let's move um, on. This is one. It's um, it's not the most identifiable theme for most nerds out there, but the game for the nerd culture is huge. Mm. <laughs> okay, well, those. Anytime you hear those angelic voices, I think of some sort of like grail narrative, some sort of like found object, some sort of like quest for an object. I'm gonna keep listening. And I'm also getting some sort of like Eastern, like maybe something with a with a temple or something with a like you know there's that there's that that it's not pentatonic but it's it's not western either i abs i'm amazed by what's happening mm -hmm. without knowing it that's incredible so this is from oh uh oh so there's clearly some sort of epic battle that happens yes and you hear that drum that like you, like the kind of drumming you feel in your chest. There's one detail I'm waiting for her to, like, I, I know, I, I'm sure it's there. If you don't have anything else, it's totally fine. It's, I mean, I also like just the rhythm. Like, I can picture it being like on horseback, like horseback. Oh my <laughs> god! <laughs> wow. So, Shadow of the Colossus. Oh, Jesus. oh my god. Is literally your one dude and his horse riding around to killing these huge <laughs> titans, these colossus. I promise so, I don't know what these. Okay, so are so about. so I wait. I, I have to jump in because we're geeking out right now. So. 
Uh, Shadow of the Colossus is a game that came out almost a decade ago, I think, right? Or, uh, or maybe even a little bit more. Maybe even a little more. Yeah. Um, and it it was it was uh it was kind of like an artistic Jeez, point for video games. Uh, people were starting to realize like, oh, games can be art. Um, mm. Because uh, the design in this game was very interesting. the The concept was, what about if we took all the things that make a video game a video game and stripped it down to its bare elements? Take out all the incidentals, take out like yeah. all the characters, take out the quests and the stories and stuff like that. Let's just have one objective, sixteen boss battles, and one character and his horse. And essentially, and it was a very beautifully designed game where. One, you start in a temple, in a, essentially a cathedral. Oh, is that the like? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You start in a cathedral, and you're you're on this objective to just ride out. And it is, you know, it was developed in Japan, so oh. there's your eastern, there's your eastern influence. <laughs> and yeah, and then you, of course you got that from the epic battle music that there was. You're you're on your something to do, and then and you. You struck upon the horse, and that's where we all are like, "What? How? Yeah. How? Well, yeah, think weird. about think about. What, I don't know if you guys have ever ridden a horse. I'm from Texas, so I know. <laughs> um, but you know the way, like if a if a horse is at full gallop, the way that they hit there's with their feet or their hooves, there's always that moment of total like they're all their legs are up at the same time. Yep, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. so there's yeah. like da dunk, da dunk. Yep, and that's what I heard in the rhythm. Right, so rather than a typical clop, instead of like, so yes, and I mean, I mean, you're at full tilt on that horse, so often. Yeah, yeah, no, you're riding it at full power all the time. Oh my, it's insane. So this one, I think it's a bit of a layup, but it's also it's going to be interesting to hear what what seeds come from this game. So immediately, I think you know more, more archaic. Um, it sounds a bit more like a Game of Thrones type, you know, thing. It sounds a little pastoral too to begin with. Like maybe they start away, um, and then I mean I'm waiting for more, but maybe they start away and there their will life be more. is okay. And there's more. There's more. And I'm waiting for what maybe happens next to them. Because you get a little folk music yep, in this, very. yeah, like a little flute or a pan flute. I mean, something. Yeah, there's a there's a drop that's going to happen at about the one minute mark. Yeah, you hear the Celtic influence. Yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. And back in this time, you know, like if we're staying true to history. Yeah. Well, here it's coming. Oh. Oh, something happens. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part. This is up. so good. God, I love this song. Yeah, it's actually really great. <laughs> it's interesting um, for the people listening. She's she's thinking very hard right now, and I, I think I know the reason. Um, once we break, once we name and break down what's going on, I think I know why she's confused. So, just like listening to the narrative, like the journey of it, I would mm -hmm. say that it's about someone or a group of people that you know lived in a like small, 
like, you know, idyllic place that somehow got forced. There was something that happened and they were forced on this journey. And, um, you know, whether it includes battle or like facing up to whoever, like, I don't know, did something to their pastoral place. That's what be, be so. My, yeah. This is insane. So the, re- the there's it's, a reason. There's a reason this accurate, one was accurate, but not in the ways you think. Okay. Right. Like, it was perfectly true. Like you, it's a game called Assassin's Creed. This one was Black Flag. Oh. Assassin's Creed is literally. It's. I mean, ancient. Talking about ancient, the first yep. one is medieval time period. Like that's mm. how old. Like this, these right. orders are. The Templars versus the Assassin's Creed. There's your pastoral oh, sure. elements. Like yeah. the assassins yeah. were like a, a really. Yeah, basically a pastoral thing. And uh, like forced out, yes, it's a huge battle, like a game of cat and mouse where the Templars are normally in power and there's, it's it's an awesome story. This Black Flag was the pirate one. And Mm. it's interesting. Oh yeah, there's that. And even in the very beginning, like we talked about that like steady alternating beat of like two feet on wooden planks or like the peg leg, right? Yeah. So that, you pick that up. But there's also like in this one versus, I think it was the first one that we listened to, there's more of a community feel. There's, there's yes. sure instrumentation. That, that's when I went like this that's, with my yes. hands above my head because, the, yeah, the the whole idea of Assassin's Creed is that there it's an organization, and so yeah. essentially yeah. part of your goal in this game is to build up your organization, and yeah. you end up befriending people that are with you, Aww. and like you form a little community in a very enclosed space, which yeah. is your ship. And your ship becomes your primary method of transportation. And the Celtic influence comes a little bit more from the character's background. Edward Kenway is originally mm-hmm. from uh, from. Uh, uh, we have a siren, so let's stop. Sorry. Oh, they're, they're here for me. I'm going to have to yeah. go. So. <laughs> it's, an, it's an ambulance, you dick. Oh, all right. <laughs> Wow. Well, maybe I'm having a geek count. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, All right. Uh, te- more? Technically, we're at time, but I want to keep going because there's a couple we want to oh, do. Oh yeah, a couple more. Um, one of the, this is what this is the only one that I had to get from YouTube because there's a very specific rendition for it, oh. and it's one that we've listened to several times because we like it so much. Um, <laughs> I'm interested to see <laughs> what I get. What from you it. get from it? <laughs> Her face, face is twisting and contorting. Uh. Okay, so this is more. This is weird because it's like jazz era, you okay. know, like or big band, you know, which is not what I'm used to hearing. anything to do with like film noir or not really we'll get there okay. <laughs> okay that's why i'm bobbling my head from side to side instead of shaking my head i didn't yeah this one is a little tricky this, I, this, I think this yeah, might be the hardest we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're starting one. to throw curveballs here yeah so in the interest of time, we're going to wait. Listen to the drop. Okay. It's so interesting because it sounds like Gershwin-esque, and there's even part of it sounds like um, Bernstein. Yeah. But it's that whimsical element. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, again... 
I, I, I think this is an example where it's more like setting the tone and doesn't give so much about the narrative. That 100%. is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. This is the song uh, uh, Jungle, Jungle Garden, Jungle Japes from the video game Donkey Kong Country. Oh, my God. Right. Which, if you don't know anything about video games, would make no sense to you as a title because it's neither about a donkey nor about <laughs> nor about jungle. Kong. Yeah, but you know he's the big gorilla from the Nintendo franchise. Right, with right. The bananas. And Correct, yeah, and like okay. when you all of his games just have this like very swingy like kind of oh, but like the swing. theme of swing and oh. it's a, it's right a there it is. Right, I, I okay. think I think there's a there's sort of a little bit of a hidden clue in the drum fills too, yeah. in that it's not just your classic drum kit drum fills, but you can also hear kind of the bongo. In yeah, the yeah, it's a very oh, bongo. So drum it's like. Right. Yeah. But you're 100% right. There's really no story to be told right. here. I'm sure there would be people that argue right. with me. Oh, but, sure. But it's sure. about the tonality. It's about the setting. And it's yep. about the whimsical nature of the yeah. game. You have a giant gorilla throwing barrels yeah. at you. And the little clues. The little clues. But I think yeah. that's one of those examples that you'd have to be clued into. Yeah. 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 To like suss out those. So I, I, I guarantee that if I said, okay, this is Donkey Kong Country. We showed you the game. Yeah. And, we, and, you, and then you listen to that song. You'd be able to. You would go, oh. And I then do this. Thing. Oh, we do this sure. thing. Oh, we do this yeah. thing. So yeah. yeah. There is. There's so many that we want that I want to do. Um, I'm gonna I'm just gonna keep plugging forward because yeah. this is fun. Yeah. I, I'm it. having fun. I'm having fun. I feel um, like this would be a great drinking game or a party oh trip. Oh my! Right? So <laughs> great. There you go. So great. Um, this tune in next week for yeah, Drunk right. Geek XP. <laughs> <laughs> or you won't be able to tune in, but... Yeah, <laughs> right. um, so this one, um, this, this, this this game is very near and dear to my heart. A lot of them fr from the... Um, it's... I, I love it. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm just gonna play it so I stop geeking out about it. <laughs> Something sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> this is. I'm I'm really intrigued because it's it's such a good game with such a distinct tone. You know, this actually reminds me of the Home Alone soundtrack. Oh my god! So interesting. Weird. Oh, that's weird. God, she's good. <laughs> she's really good. Oh yeah, totally. There's a that 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 from the Home Alone. Okay. That's what it sounds like. Interesting. Is it John? It's not John Williams. It's not John it? Williams. No. But maybe a student of, you know, there's, someone listening to a lot, a lot of, lot of John Harry Williams. Potter here. There too. is a very lot of Harry Potter I've here. I've never seen <gasps> But the music is exactly the same, and I have a theory as to why. Mm. So, I mean, is it a is it a parallel, you know, with with Harry Potter? Is it something with wizards? Something with magic? Something along those? I mean, is it? Okay, so I mean, I think that was kind of spoon fed, but you're, you know, you're like, pretty close with okay. it though. Um, this is a game called Luigi's Mansion. When you said Home mm. Alone, I that's when we were all like, "What the fuck?" Because Luigi is alone in a haunted mansion, oh. and he's trying to save <laughs> Mario from who's trapped in a painting. And so okay. the, the, when he said sneaky, sneak, he's like, okay. He's sneaking around. Yeah. Right. right. Well, to I, I was going to say the ghosts, ghosts are the sneaky ones. Right. The ghosts are being all sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> yeah. And Luigi's freaking out the entire time and he's yeah. home alone. Like yeah. it's, I love yeah. it. I and loved it. and the, the reason, the Harry Potter theme, which is very recognizable, or Hedwig's theme as it's called, um, has very similar elements to this song. Mm. And it has that like lilting, 
Um, you, you get a lot of like the triangle a little yeah. bit and other things like that. And yeah. it's kind of mysterious and not something you can quite put your finger on. Yeah. It's not fanfare or brassy. And it, it comes from that like you're entering a building a large building, a mansion, or a castle yeah. in, in mm-hmm. instance of Harry Potter, where you don't know what's going on and things can be mysterious. Correct. I think that's well, where this drives And from. I think you hear that in the phrasing of it, too, because it'll, like, you know, it'll have a phrase, but then it'll be like, bing, bing, yep. you know? And so yep. it's like, it's a question. Yeah. It doesn't end on the, you know, expectation of tonality, which is to, like, mm. end on a dough or to end on a, you know, like, the tonic. Right. It's kind of oh, like, yeah. mm, but what else? Yep, yep. Right? it leaves it, it on an inflection. That God, that's so <laughs> cool. So there's two more that two we're going to do for sure. And I, I'm just having way too much fun with this to stop now. Um, anyway, again, don't This wanna... is the one that's really near and dear. This, this, is oh, the, okay. this one is probably in my, the most interesting that, if, just from what I know of this game series, it, it's the most interesting to listen to knowing what, knowing. what they're about. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I immediately think ships. Interesting. Okay. Or some sort of voyage. Oh. Yeah, this is the beginning of a journey, for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I think this is a very, very typical, like, journey narrative but like more of a battle type situation not a not like a journey for a thing okay yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no you, you hear this like low brass yeah like as an opposing force maybe very oh, okay. very there very is. much so yeah yeah we'll, especially we'll call in this there. rendition yeah, so, yeah, it's that's why this one is the most interesting for me because right. I know I wanted the last time we played this, I think I did the Skyrim theme for you. Um, this is the same uh, video game series. It's called Elder Scrolls. This one was Oblivion, which was the fourth entry. The fourth entry. Now Oblivion, it's a journey. It's open ended. There's endless. It, it's the same feel of game, but Oblivion is basically this this uh, world's rendition of Hell. And when we say opposite oh, forces, like... Good and evil. Good and evil, Very yeah. much yeah. so, yeah. This okay. is where the armies, essentially, of oblivion or hell in, this, in, in that right. comparison okay. are okay. rising, and you are journeying across the uh, continent mm-hmm. to mm. better yourself and also to close the gates that are leading to this dimension. Yeah, well, and you hear, like, so that sweeping, like... It's interesting because the strings have this sweep, this expansive mm-hmm. sweep, right. and then you have the opposing force coming in in a different mute, like yeah. in a right. different section of the orchestra, I guess. That's yeah. Um, well, the other thing that makes me so interested is um, Skyrim. It's the one that has the deep chanting because yeah, like the, the Nordic is very Nordic. <laughs> <laughs> this one, this one, it's interesting because this is the one that takes place in Cyrodiil, which is the capital of the, the empire. Empire. Right. Oh, and yeah. That regal, like. Yes. yes, beginning. Very. Where yes. it's like it sounds like ships, but I can yes. see it also be imperial. But like, but ships. Yeah. It's, if I remember correctly, the map does have islands at the top, oh, like yeah. a lot of islands. So yeah. like, it's not it's not abnormal to think from especially like the Skyrim world that there's going to be boats. Like, sure. Sure. It's, it's my my favorite. I just, one one more thing on this one before we move on to the next song. My favorite rendition of that theme of the Elder Scrolls is from their third entry, which is Morrowind, and it's very recessed. Every mm-hmm. every every instance of Elder Scrolls since has incorporated that. We we heard oh. it a little bit here. We heard, but in Morrowind, 
the way it's played out, it's much more subtle. It's less militaristic. There's no opposing force that you get from yeah. it. But it communicates its medieval setting. Yeah. It's yeah. very, it's like on those kinds of instruments. It's very lilting and soft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's meant to like imply courts and high culture. Yes. And so one necessarily is pointed to thinking fantasy. Yeah. Or, yeah. or you know, just like a medieval setting, right. which is very common. I would be curious if I had the score in front of me. Oftentimes you'll see little motives like that. Yeah. Get explicated but stretched out, and so like they may take it and then harmonically use it throughout, and so they're like deeper layers that you'll find it. And when you've got like your red pen, that you're like, oh, I'm doing deep what we call Shankarian like analysis. It's like, oh, there it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like I figured it out. So uh, I would also love to like play all of those Elder Scrolls themes for you because it's they all start with that driving like beat at the beginning and then build into the bigger thing. It's interesting. I'd love like. Without knowing as much as Best Knows, I still love the language that Elder Scrolls has created for it. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. This last one is the true trick question. Oh, no. Now, there's a reason. This was not written for a video game. Oh. You're probably going to recognize the song, actually. Okay. The goal here is to figure out why this song is, like, the epitome of this game. Why it is every time you see a trailer for it, this song is used for it. Mm -hmm. And why specifically... Why, why was it chosen? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we're looking for why they so would choose it's, this So it's, it's used in multiple games, or is it just it's, this it's, one? It's that this yeah. one game. Okay. One okay. game that used this song. And I want okay. you, we want you to try to figure out why. I'm sure you can, but okay. again, we're going to see. So I think there's something to be said. So I just went to go see The Shape of Water last night. Ah, and so, you know, ah, this kind of like, uh, you know, aural, like ambient noise, you know, paired with something really violent or, you know, like climactic yes! happening oh is always God. like a, okay. <laughs> let, 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 a very <laughs> like impactful thing because you see all these very violent images. And with that paired, you're kind of like, you know, this almost represents like when not inflamed, this is what the character's mindset is. So <laughs> it's insane. This is used for a game called Fallout Three. Just from the title, Nuclear Fallout is where that where where it's derived from. Oh, okay. The open the trailer is absolutely gorgeous. You see like those old the old style like radio like flickering to life. This song comes on. And it slowly fades away, and it's the inside of like a bus, and you see these buildings collapsed all around it. You just see the utter destruction as that camera like fades away from the camera. It's beautiful, and that's the song that's used. I, all I the think time. I think Bass, you freaking nailed it uh, because Thank you. so many so many things, like especially with something unassuming like this soft 
melodic 1920s kind of song mm-hmm. implies something much more grave in a setting mm-hmm. or or much more terrifying. Yeah. So when you're talking about like on a large scale destruction, etc., exactly what that game is yep. about. You're you're rummaging in a in a destroyed nuclear fallout world. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also obviously the lyrics give you a lot of hints to this because it's the the opening line is awesome. I don't want to set the world on fire. Your world has been set on fire and yeah. it's yeah. reduced yeah. to nothingness. Like and and we yeah. can't do any. We can't turn it back now. Right. It is yeah. what it is. Right. Yeah. Um, and the, I mean, the journey of that game is looking for your father, which right. is another mm. interesting like little. And detail. then the, the follow up game is you are a dad looking for your son. Oh. Yeah, yeah, really it's, cool. It's I mean it's a it's a great franchise, but yeah. yeah, it's or a mom. Actually, I'm sorry. Yeah, you can be. A, you can you be can a mom. Be, yeah, 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 you're you looking for your, tra- your child. Yeah. Sure. Right. sure. So oh, I see. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, right. either way, the tables have been turned, right. and yep. now it's your turn to experience the other side. Right. Mm-hmm. So, Got it. so yeah, I'm I'm very like it's uh, I I cannot. I could do this all day. I know. Just, like, yeah. Play stuff. It's, and see it's a wonderful we... party trick. Like legitimately, it's so awesome and so fun to hear you talk about this. And again, it's you know if we if we had you know we've been going for over an hour at this point. So I'm really sorry about that. This lasted longer than I thought, but like legitimately, it's so interesting to hear like this is a theme and hear her just go, okay, something like you're, she's talking about the musical language mm-hmm. present in that music and how some of them are like really well written to say like X, Y, and Z. And for Donkey Kong, musical puns that she picked up after we told her what the game was. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, but I think all of this comes together, you know, and it it helps us understand how to create a world that we can all relate to, right? So yeah. I don't play Absolutely. video games, but I can relate to those sounds, and it, it makes a world that I'm like, okay, yeah, I can identify with that. I understand that. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, proves such a you know, great case for music and why we should yeah. keep looking at it. And, you know, <laughs> Definitely. Think, right, right. Definitely. It's not a dead art. No, no, no it's not. No, so no, we, not we are, slightest. we are way over time at this point, but we, we do have to wrap everything up. This has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you again so much, best for coming yeah, on today. Thanks yeah. for having me. This has been great. So again, I'm Peter, the geek. We got I'm GMJC. I'm the soup man, Stephen Campbell. <laughs> Love that nickname. Anyway, <laughs> I feel like I leveled up today. Tune in next time for some more GXP and have a good rest of your day, guys. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to our show. If you liked Geek XP, help us out by becoming a contributor on our Patreon. We have bonus content, raffles, and more at patreon.com slash yourgeekxp. Geek XP is recorded live at Face Off Unlimited headquarters in Astoria, Queens, and was edited by Peter Hargard. Executive producers are Joe Tex, Jay Painter, and Eric Robinson. FLU Studios is a property of Face Off Unlimited, LLC. I'm Peter Hargarden, the senior producer of podcasts here, and on behalf of everyone who worked on the show, we'd like to thank you, the listener, for tuning in. Subscribe to catch all of our other podcasts here on the FOU Studios Podcast Network. To connect with the geeks, follow us at YourGeekXP on Facebook and Twitter. To learn more about FOU, connect with us via social media at FOU Studios and visit us at FOUStudios.com. Boom!